You're listening to episode 80 with Mark Poling, Business Strategy and Performance Systems Director for Clean Water Services. This episode is brought to you by Mazar's Women of Water event. Hey everybody, this is Travis Loop, Communications Director for the Water Environment Federation. This is a podcast that is all about water in communication, branding and storytelling and the things that we can all be doing better. It's water in real life with my good friends and podcasting cohorts in crime, the H2 duo, Stephanie Zavala and Ariane Shipley. Mazaro's USA LLP, a full-service accounting tax consulting firm, is proud to announce its inaugural Women of Water Summit taking place on January 9, 2020 in Arlington, Virginia. This is a dynamic event promoting industry-leading women and fostering discussions around how to enhance the position of women in the sector. The Mazaro's Women of Water Summit will provide an effective platform inclusive of diverse global leadership and insights for the industry, as well as venue to open dialogue and career leadership advancement paths for women. This full-day event will consist of three dynamic panels throughout the day, three water talks tailored after the famous TED Talk format, and what promises to be an amazing keynote address given by Carla Reed of WSSC Water. Topics include cybersecurity, data privacy, diversity in the water sector, finance, water reuse, and more. For more details and to register, please visit mazarsusa.com forward slash women of water summit. You can be a leader right where you are. You don't have to wait for some specific job title in order to be a leader. These are words of wisdom from Mark Poling, Clean Water Services in Oregon. And I couldn't have been more excited to get a chance to sit down with him at WEF Tech 2019. I mean, that's quite a feat. I mean, he's so involved with WEF. That was um, that was a real joy to be able to get a chance to, to chat with him for a minute. And we talk about everything from... The reason why he stopped thinking that we should be a silent utility and that we should be telling our story more, Mark Jocker from Clean Water Services played a big role in that. And also the ways that we can attract and retain new and future workforce by creative ways of showing the passion of the people and the work that we do. Why it's so incredibly important to get involved and the value of saying yes and why it's so important to have or create psychological safety at work so that you can be vulnerable and bring your whole self to work because it helps not only in your professional but also your personal world. So uh, we also talk a little bit about how WEF is handling diversity and inclusion and how that whole conversation actually begins more so with looking internally at our own biases that we may not even know that we have. So great conversation and without further ado, let's get to the show. Super excited to be here at WefTech with Mark Poling from Clean Water Services. I've been a big fan for a while. I'm sure everyone that's listening knows exactly who I'm ta- who he is. No introduction necessary. Um, but we got the opportunity to actually sit down and meet in real life at Imagine H2O, and so that was really great to do that. Um, and I think it was actually coming out of that Imagine H2O where. Um, Bree from WEF asked the question that I'm about to ask you on Mm. Twitter, and it was so inspiring that we ask everyone that we've interviewed since this question. But, Mark, do you think that water chose you or you chose water? That is a really good question. (laughs) I think I chose water because, I mean, it's part of who I am. Yeah. Definitely. I, I can't say that it chose me, but it's definitely something that goes back and forth. I mean... You have to feel the call of it, but at the same time, you also have to answer the call, right? Yeah, Because if true. you don't, if you hear it, but you don't answer, 
So I, I think it's actually a little bit of both. Wow. I love that answer because a lot of the times we get people say that, you know, water chose them because everyone feels everyone feels like because they didn't go into school with, I'm going to go into school to work in the water industry, that somehow they have a non-traditional pathway. And I'm like, that's all of our pathways. We kind of... Isn't it the truth? Yeah. I mean, you don't go into school thinking, I can't wait to work in wastewater. <laughs> yes, I can't wait. I mean, I can't wait till the day when that is happening, you know? I know, I'm with you because, you know, so much of t- so much of the time we've spent, uh, we focus on what comes in. And at Clean Water Services, when we did our name change, gosh, it must be 15 years ago now, um, there were folks who were unhappy about it because, you know, we had a name. It had a great acronym. It was yeah. USA. And who doesn't like that when you live in this country and the United yeah. States? But, but, uh, but the Unified Sewerage Agency just – Yeah, I know. Our board chair couldn't even pronounce it. <laughs> so, so It doesn't have just, a nice ring to it. It doesn't, does it? And so we decided, though, and I, what I told folks when we decided to change our name, that it's much better – you know, shouldn't you define yourself by what you create and what you do? Exactly. And, as opposed to what flows in the door? I mean – uh, industries don't define themselves as silicone wafers, right? You know, that <laughs> company that they make chips, they make computers, yeah. they make things that make people's lives better. And frankly, that's what we do. Yeah, I agree. Um, I actually, I'm a big fan of Karen DeBaker, who's also at Clean Water Services, and she and I can talk for hours about communication. And that was one of the things that we talked about when we did a presentation at PNCWA conference is talking about the end product and and how because mm-hmm. that's what impacts community and that's what's going to matter to them not they need to understand that that's what they're investing in it's not paying a bill they're making an investment in the the infrastructure and the people and the resources and all that goes into delivering that service so just yeah we used to be really silent on that and i and i was a firm believer in the being hidden yeah. And really? Yes. Yes. And I have come 180 on that completely because people don't value what they don't know about or mm-hmm. they don't understand. Mm-hmm. And I think everyone in this country appreciates clean water, but I don't think anybody knew our role in that. Yeah. Right. I mean, because we were happy to kind of be this hidden service because the, uh, you know, when we people heard about us, it was because something bad happened, right? We had yeah. an overflow, right? We, you know, millions and millions of gallons conveyed and treated and everything's going great. And, you know, and a hundred gallons escapes and it's on the news. It's, One day you mess Yes, up, exactly. Yeah. Because yeah. no system is perfect. And, no. and there will be those things that go wrong. But I became a firm believer in, we have to tell people all the good things we're doing. Mm-hmm. All those millions and millions of gallons that we cleaned and treated every day yeah. and protected the environment. And now that we're, and we're now making resources, val- recovering valuable resources out of those. Yeah. Well, now I'm intrigued because, I mean, you have a, a slew of history in, in this industry. So what was kind of your reasoning as to why we should stay hidden? Why did you think that that was important? Um, it was because the, the when you got media coverage, it was negative. Yeah. And, you know, frankly, I you know, we didn't... I'll credit Mark Jockers with this, who works at uh, Clean, Clean Water, Water Services. Services. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. He's been there for a long time. He was able to generate positive news stories for us, you know, about the good work that we're doing out in the community. And frankly, I didn't think people would get very excited about, you know, what, where their wastewater went, right, and what what things went on. But, but that's because the, that's that's the wrong approach to it. Yeah. It's about what we create and what we produce. It's not what comes in the door because, frankly, no one is excited about that. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So, it, so um, he did a great job of generating these wonderful news articles about the work we were doing, both because we were also doing work out in the watershed and tree plantings and those sorts of things. So, really got people got to see the the positive impact that we were having. 
So was Mark the catalyst for your turnaround or was there something else that kind of spurred you to see things or maybe a compilation of things that kind of inspired you to see things in a different light that we needed to communicate more about it? I think it really was that process. We set a goal of having 12 positive articles written about the district nice. uh, for one year. Yeah. And we did that. And as those articles continued to roll out and and it's like, gosh, he's really accomplishing this. They're, yeah. they're, the, he, and, he and the group are getting this done. Yeah. And it really was a, cha- a game changer for me. And I'm, I'm a firm believer in it now. I mean, yeah. we have to tell people because we're we're going to need more resources to, to take care of some of these challenges that we have coming up. So we're going to need their support. Yeah. And people don't support what they don't know and don't understand and don't appreciate. So why and why should they? Yeah. Right? None of us would do that. So we we really have to be out there telling our story. Yeah. So did Mark work for you when, or was he, he was just in a similar group? Different group. group. Different you know, group, okay. I, At the time, I was in charge of the wastewater, uh, okay. wastewater group, so. Okay, well, my point, my point is, is that we kind of had, me and Ariane had kind of a similar experience in the last utility that we worked for um, in Texas, and Texas drought is a, a regular thing, it happens Every, I mean, we know if it's been a few years, we're, we're in for a severe drought. And what happens when we come out of the drought is that people start watering again. And then there's this crazy high water bill. Like they, they start to think that we're creating algorithms yes. or, you know, we're somehow pushing more water through the meters now so that we can charge them more. And we're like, nope, we're just not in a drought anymore. And you're, wa- you're allowed, we're out of restrictions. So you're allowed to water again. And so um, our boss was really hesitant to be proactive in terms of um, kind of reminding them what season was coming and just to you know keep that in mind as they're setting their watering schedules and things like that because he was like, well, I don't want to make them think about that. And we said, no, we need to. Yes. So that they're so it's on their mind and and they can uh, they can be ahead of the game. And so my point is is that we got to he trusted in us enough. To nice. show that the proactive communication approach meant that the following summer, when we when we get onto high water bill season, as we called it, he wasn't spending hours on the phone talking with angry customers, and he wasn't having to do all of these um, bill adjustments because of of things related to the high water bill things. Because he had allowed us to be proactive in the way that we communicated and not to hide behind it, and I think that was a big part of what became what made him a believer so to your credit i'm glad that you were open-minded enough to let mark prove that (laughs) (laughs) the power of proactivity when it comes to communication and mark is like a a communication jedi so i mean if you're gonna have anyone prove it to you it should be him (laughs) well and he did a great job and it really was um this and thank, you know, thankfully, the media was willing to do it. Yeah. The, our local newspaper, and, and we also had some media stories in both television and radio. Yeah. Um, because this was a few years ago before you know, it was really almost all electronic now. But the, thank, thankfully for them, they were willing to listen to us. Yeah. And to help us tell the story. Yeah. And Because sometimes, you know, if, hey, if it's not, you know, it's a, a dog bites man is not a story. <laughs> Your local utility does good things. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Right? But but thankfully, the media was also willing to uh, uh, to help us get our story out there. Yeah, and sometimes you're not always going to get your story out there. But if you keep on feeding them content that they can use on those days when there is exactly. a slow news day, I mean, then, you know, your story comes up in the queue. And who cares? Like, who cares if it happens when you wanted it to go out? Like, it went out, period. So. That's a good point. Good yeah. Point. Um, so you talked about... One of the reasons that we need to be, 
to tell our story is because we're going to need more resources. And one of the resources that we're going to need are, are people. Uh, is workforce. Yes. And so before I get into asking you kind of uh, advice for future water nerds out there, I kind of wanted to talk to you about your own career path wow. because you gave me such an interesting response to that you chose water. Uh, I kind of want to know a bit more about that. So can you share how you went from managing a treatment plant to becoming a finance director to a member of nonprofit boards? Like tell us a little bit more about your story and pathway in water. Sure, I'd be happy to. So I grew up um, we're here in Chicago. I grew up. Oh, a, I didn't know that. Yeah, we're here in Chicago. Yeah. So I grew up in, well, not Chicago, so I grew up on the other side of the lake. I grew up in Michigan, oh, surrounded okay. by water <laughs> and the Great Lakes. And so when you live in that state, I mean, and there's lots of, there's hundreds, thousands of other lakes as well, but yes. water is a big part of your life. And I've always loved the water. And this is, this is kind of like the water, you know, water calls me, but, yes. but you have to answer. And I really, when I went into college, I didn't intend to be in water. I, frankly, I didn't know what I wanted to be. At the time, I wanted to be a basketball player. That, <laughs> that, that, that didn't work out, but, uh, um, but I had learned many things from sports. But, but uh, I took an environmental science class, and it hooked me. I had always been concerned about the environment. I remember growing up, you know, litter was the big thing, right? Mm. Don't litter. Yeah. And, uh, boy, talk about a small step into a bigger world, right? <laughs> Um, you know, our environment was really in bad shape mm. and I, it felt like a cause that I needed to be involved in. And then the water part of it was just a natural for me. Yeah. Uh, there's folks that work on the air side and, and, and the land side of things. Uh, but for me, water was, if I'm going to be working in the environment, it's always going to be water. Yeah. So I started, uh, I, I finished my undergraduate. Uh, I got lucky enough to get accepted to go to grad school uh, out at the University of Washington uh, in Seattle. Uh, another place that's you know, water kind of defines it, yes. <laughs> you know, surrounded by by the sound in uh, Lake Washington. So it's the perfect place to be for a water person. <laughs> and uh, got a job working for the local uh, municipality, uh, uh, Seattle Metro, and I was a process analyst and um, learned wastewater treatment kind of from the ground up. And really, really appreciate that experience. And I mm. really appreciate what operators do every day. Yes, uh, I worked yes. with them uh, every single day and. And then I was eventually, you know, I, I was promoted a few times and became the plant manager, and which was a great, great privilege, frankly. It was at a time when we were going through an expansion, a very large expansion, about $500 million worth of work and trying to keep that plant running while you were doing that on a very yeah. limited site. So there were some real challenges, but I learned a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, some friends in consulting, got to work closely with them and uh, learned a lot about the design process. So mm. I really had a great experience yeah. there. So for me, it's really been, it's just kind of been, I've been very fortunate, right, first of all. And then secondly, you know, just taking advantage of the things that come along to you. And, um, you know, from there, I went to Clean Water Services. I had an opportunity to manage both operations and the, and the capital side of things, which really intrigued me, you know, to run, to run both things. Okay. And had continued to grow my experience there. And um, then uh, we got a new deputy general manager a few years back, and she said, you know, would you like to do something a little different? And I was ready for a change. And yeah. so, um, not that I don't love wastewater treatment. <laughs> I do. I do. <laughs> Producing clean water is always going to be a passion for me. Ah. But uh, so she offered me the opportunity to work with finance and IT. And fortunately for me, there were two great managers, over a manager over both of those who had the technical expertise. And so I really focused on utility management issues, mm. which, which was great. And I really have enjoyed that experience. 
experience. And I continue in that role today. I also have a, she's also asked, uh, she's now the CEO and she's asked me to work on a performance excellence program. Okay. And, and we're also trying to transform our IT group into being a, a digital solutions group, which includes uh, really the combination of the, of the IT, the OT, the operating technology, as well as the ET, engineering technology. Uh, and bringing those things together to build a true digital utility. So it's nice. very exciting stuff. And, yeah. You know, I have great colleagues. I work with uh, Dr. Ting Liu. I work with Diane, uh, Dr. Ryan Cicero as part of the group. And so, again, you know, if it's my job just to help them um, um, build some great things and do yeah. some great work and to really help our organization. And, you know, frankly, and it's not just the two of them. Clean Water Services is filled with um, great Great professionals, uh, all the way from you know, operator ranks and on up. We've got a great set of professionals, so I'm very fortunate to be there. Awesome. Was there going back to the beginning of your story because it kind of opened it up with a point about the workforce? Was there something in that environmental science class that really struck you or resonated with you that was like, yeah, this is what I want to do for sure? Well, I had a, kind of a dynamic professor. Okay. And, and, and he talked about, he talked with a real passion about how we've got to solve these problems. Yes. And, you know, I saw the, I saw the pollution. The, the, the town that I grew up in, a very industrial city, uh, there were larger cities uh, uh, upriver, and all of the waste from those industrials and, and, and frankly, municipal waste was going into that. And, and this was in the 60s, even though it was very cold place in the winter, much colder than it is today. Yeah. And the river wouldn't freeze. Oh my God. Or if it did, it was so thin, you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't dare walk out on yeah. it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they used to race cars out on the river, you know, mm. decades ago, decades before that. And um, when we had to get rid of uh, a lot of stuff, we would go to the the <laughs> dump, right? Yeah. And the dump would be on fire. Parts of it would be on fire, and and it would be right up to the river's edge, and oh it's boy. just this horrible mess. And you know, you just got this impression, you know, especially in that industrial area, it's like something's got to be done here yeah this is not the world I want to live in yeah yeah I love that you said passion because that's it was a professor in my graduate program who is the one who got me interested in water and it was I had I say that I'd never heard water story told in that way that Mm -hmm. she taught and it was her passion for it that kind of came through and I think as the water industry, whether your your utility or whatever kind of area of the industry you're working in, I think it's so important to to find those people in our communities and our universities and just let them know that you're a resource and a connection point. Because I mean, she's the reason that I got my internship with a with a public works for a smaller city. And I mean, that's I've been in water ever since. So just making that connection. So I think it's so important when we talk workforce to understand like that it's it's on us to also get out there and know who those people are and find those passionate people because they can be a conduit to to send the future water nerds into the pipeline. It's so true. Our um, former ED, um, Dr. Eileen O'Neill, yes. as she said it, and she said it great. She came to our um, PNCWA conference a mm-hmm. couple of years ago okay. as the WEF representative. And I, I just remember her hearing her say when when you come to water it's not just a career it's a cause yeah and it is really true it is really true there we have a cause Mm -hmm. and and it's a great one Mm -hmm. it's a great mission yeah so how do you how do you not be excited about that that's why everybody stays yeah right they bump into people like you and I who are part of this great this great endeavor 
And, and you saw the you saw the trailer yesterday for uh, Brave oh, Blue it gives World. Gives me goosebumps every oh, time I see I it. I know. I know. <laughs> it makes me so proud. And Matt Damon's quote that is an amazing. Oh yeah. I, and, How and lucky are we? Yes, yes. Please. Oh, I don't know. How lucky are we that we get to be a part of solving this problem? You know, in a hundred years from now, we get to look back. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred years from now, people will look back and be jealous. Yeah. That they weren't there when we solved these problems. Yeah. What? Oh goosebumps. my goodness. I'm skin goosebumps right now. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. When I, uh, I was so excited to hear last year at WebTech that about that movie, I think they were even shooting some, some scenes at WebTech last year. Uh, and so I was incredibly excited to hear about that. And but then when they released the the trailer recently, and I saw that, and I'm just goosebumps and like teary eyed, and I shared it, and I was like, "This is my industry. These are my people. Like these are this is the amazing work that's being done out there." So I'm so excited about that. Speaking of that, have you seen the um, the one that goes with the uh, Why Water's Worth It children's book? Oh yeah, I ah. mean. Amazing. When I present that, when I when I travel uh, on behalf of WEF uh, to different member association meetings, I if it's, if it works for for their group, I try mm-hmm. to close with that. But I never ever put it early because it chokes me up. No, okay. I can't talk. <laughs> my yeah. tears start coming to my eyes yes. because it's so it's so significant. You yes. know, and, and because it really emphasizes what world are we leaving for our children, mm-hmm. right? I mean. That, that's what this is all about. Absolutely. And I, uh, I'm i going to be speaking with uh, the woman and the illustrator who, who wrote the book. Yeah, and then, Yeah, and then I'm going to be talking with with Travis and, and also some other folks about how important it is that we communicate about our industry and what we're doing and water in these different ways that bring in, that stir the kind of emotions mm-hmm. that you're talking about. Yes. And so much of that is either written in books or short videos or movies. I mean, that's that's how we get the emotion and how we put that across because, you know, for most of us here, we don't come to work because of what the bullet points in our job descriptions. <laughs> no. We come because of the community, the family feeling, the just, you know, the people that we get to work side by side with every day and the amazing amount of pride that we have in what we do. And I don't think that there's, I don't think that can be conveyed in, a brochure, you know. <laughs> it's really true. And let me just, um, if I can build on what you Absolutely. just said. The people. Yeah. It's so true. I mean, you would probably stay for the cause, but when you are surrounded by so many wonderful, excellent people that are passionate like you are, and frankly, they have great sense of humor. That's one of the things I love about this industry. You yeah. cannot work in wastewater and not have some oh my <laughs> sense of yeah. humor, no. right? Because you're gonna hear, you hear the jokes and all those yep. things, and and you have to laugh with it, right? Because yep. yeah, it is kind of a funny subject. It is, and uh, so it's we, taboo, we, and we like we roll with it. Ex- exactly right, <laughs> exactly right. You know, but and that sense of humor comes across as well. Not only are they passionate and dedicated. But we have fun. Folks have a sense of humor. It's, it's why we all stay here. Yeah, it's it's a rowdy bunch over here. It's really that. true. Yeah, because uh, for most of the utilities that we worked with, Ariane and I, before we went rogue and started Rogue Water, mm. they were more on the drinking water side. And so we never really got to experience um, the WEF side as as much. You know, we were members of WEAT, which is our member association, mm, but yeah. we weren't as involved. And so... To speak to your point on just the fun culture, we went to our first water reuse conference because it was in Austin uh, last year. Actually, to go see Mark Jockers and mm-hmm. Travis Loop present about Pure Water Brew, shout yep. out. And uh, we were in their presentation, 
And people were like heckling the speakers and there was all this engagement and it was just so much energy in the room. And Ariane and I were looking around like, we have found our tribe. We have found our tribe within (laughs) our tribe. Like this is, it's just, it's amazing. I love it. I love this side. It's so great. Um, So, okay. Coming, bringing us back to work. (laughs) What what, what were we talking about? Yeah. What? Yeah. Um, Yeah. But communicating the passion is going to be a big piece of that. Yes. But what what's your advice for the water nerds right now in terms of navigating their careers, either internally, what are some things they can do and maybe what can we do as an industry to make sure that we're, we're keeping them. We don't want to lose them once we get them in here. Yeah. And that's a great point. Uh, oftentimes, especially if you work for a smaller organization, you know, there's, there's not a lot of networking that you can do, but yeah. my goodness, PNCWA mm. is a great opportunity to network. Yeah. And, you know, we've got students in their professional groups, which I'm, I'm so envious. I, we didn't, we didn't have that when I was a student in, <laughs> in a young professional. Yeah. It's, like, it's like, Oh, I, I just want to tell people you would be crazy not to join that group because yeah. they're, they're fun, they're passionate and you'll figure, you'll figure things out. And plus this is going to be your cohort. Mm-hmm. This is the group of people you're going to go through your career with. Yep. And I've been really fortunate. I've, I've been around a great group. And you know, when I was in uh, Seattle Metro, there was, uh, it was a bit of a hiring uh, boom right when I started. And there was a lot of us around the same age, um, uh, different backgrounds, uh, different uh, you know, some were planners and some were in communications, but but it was a great group. Again, they had that passion, and we could kind of commiserate about, oh, management doesn't always know what they're doing. Oh and, yeah, you know, it was those sorts of things that oh, you yeah. get uh, earlier in your career, um, and so it was great. And because so then when I you would, become the manager, you know yeah, exactly. <laughs> then you know why you know why some of the dumb things we have to do. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, but uh, um, no, it 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 really was a, a great experience. So I would say get connected. Right. Yes. So, but the other thing, you know, that I did when uh, the year I was president and was, I I asked people to say yes. Mm. So when someone presents you with an opportunity, say yes. Mm -hmm. Most of the great things that have happened in in my life have been a matter of me. um, I was presented with something and it's almost always a personal ask. And so that's the thing I I need to tell folks. Um, if you're a committee chair, if you are on a committee, if you're working in some other part of it, ask. Yes. Make it and make it personal. It has yes. to be one on one. We ask all the time in a room full, 200 yeah. individuals. Raise your hand. Yeah, no. Raise your hand. And no, no hands. one. No hands. Exactly. <laughs> but if we, if you went to every one of those 200 people, you would probably get at least 100 yeses. Oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, For but, sure. but every so it has to be personal. Mm-hmm. So one on one, ask. And um, start small, you know, because sometimes people are intimidated by uh, when you make that ask, make it small. Sometimes people are intimidated because, they, you know, they look at, oh, I'm, you know, I'm, there's a lot of people. They've yeah. done a lot of stuff. Oh, I yeah. don't know if I could. Yes, please join. And, but, but, and you can make it a small ask. Mm-hmm. Why don't you just come to a meeting? Join yeah. us for a meeting, right? Yeah. And see what you think. And we'll talk a little bit afterward, right? Yeah. But then have that follow-up with that person as well. So, so for the folks who are coming in, if they ask please say yes yeah because we need you yep we We need you um and that's going to help a lot in terms of building that's i mean to me that experience also goes into professional development like i feel like i learned so much from the people that i get to spend time with either networking through committees or, or different volunteer positions like that and so um that brings me to a topic that I know we both have a shared passion for, and that is leadership. Mm. Um, and I know that 
I know that you said you don't read. You do a lot of articles uh, <laughs> mostly because you're just so busy. I understand like you don't have time to you know sit down and flip open a book. Um, but so what's some of the, the best leadership advice you've kind of heard lately or resource that um, people should be checking in with? Well, if you're just starting out, I would read anything and everything you can about leadership. Yeah. Um, and there's a difference between leadership and supervision. Um, a great leader can be a supervisor. Uh, supervisor has a, there's a particular set of skills and things you need to do to be a good supervisor. But typically, every really good supervisor, or I'd say every good supervisor, is also a good leader. Mm. But I think you start with that. Start with by being a leader. And one of the great things about that is you can be a, a leader right where you are right now today. You don't have to wait for anything to come along because, frankly, informal leaders are the way most things happen in the world. Yeah. You know, it, it really is true. Yeah. Right. So, Absolutely. so don't wait to be a leader. But I would say just read anything that sparks your interest. Read it, and then start following some of those lines. Right. You know, kind of as that web goes out. Um, for me, uh, right now, I've been uh, well. One of my favorite subjects is reading about servant leadership, and mm. and that uh, all great leaders seek to serve. Yeah. And uh, that's it's always service first, and yes. it's not service of it's never service of self. It's mm. always service of the of the cause, the mission, the organization that you work for or the thing that you're working on you serve that first and when you do that life gets a lot easier frankly yes uh, when you when you that's your purpose and so uh there's some great stuff by uh, greenleaf has written stuff on he was the i believe he was the originator of servant leadership or at least he, okay. he was sort of put all of that information together and you can start with his stuff there's if you go on the web there's a, a website for servant leadership there's all kinds of resources available. I would also read the Leadership Challenge, which is by Kuzis and Posner, a couple of researchers who've been working now for about 30 years. Okay. Uh, so we offer, um, I believe we'll probably do it again next year at PNCWA, we offer a leadership workshop that's based yes. on the, the Leadership Challenge. Um, so if you get an opportunity, I would take that uh, to come to our workshop. Yeah. Um, join the leadership development committee. Yeah. You don't have to be. A, you don't have to be quote a leader to become on to come on the committee with us, right? Yeah. So we we ask. So so if I see you, I'm going to ask you to become. <laughs> and you have to say <laughs> yes because that was his call to That's action right. earlier. Yeah. You have to say yes. That's yeah. right. So look at the kinds of things that interest you. Look for articles and those sorts of things. Uh, another thing I'm reading right now, which I think is a good one, which is. Um, how to create uh, psychological safety at work. Ooh, yeah. Is yeah. that kind of what you talked about at Imagine H2O a little bit? A the little bit, yes. It's about, well, whole self to it's, work? It's, it's related to that, okay. right? Because how do you bring your whole self to work? Well, you have to be in a work environment which you feel safe. Yes. Right? Which you can um, you can be your, your whole self. Another one, uh, I know that some folks, it's also related to vulnerability. Yes. Right? How do you be vulnerable it's at work? word and, of the year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, there's a lot of workplaces, unfortunately, that you would not want to be vulnerable, no. right? It would be a sign of weakness, and and uh, that's very unfortunate. Yeah. And you can't bring your whole self to work. No. Because, you know, as human beings, we are vulnerable. They don't know everything. Things go bad. Things go wrong in your life, and there's times you don't do something as well as you wanted to, or, or there's lots of, it's just, there's things that go on. I mean, we're all human. Things go on in life, but you can be your best self. If you feel you, if there's trust, if you can bring that full self to work, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and I think that for you know for everyone just listening to you know you talking about start reading these things, start getting involved, start getting on committees. Like, 
if you're a young professional, start now. Because I feel like so much of our leadership training comes almost too late. Yes. And we're playing catch up. Yeah. And um, I also think that there should be more resources for people who do get put in a position of either chairing something or running something. Just even if it's just kind of like a brief onboarding of like best tactics. Because right. I mean, you're you're running this pool of of volunteers. And so the best the best leader that you can be in terms of moving them in a direction where they feel like they're creating something of value is so important. And I feel like we don't always get prepared to do that when we get put into volunteer positions sometimes. So that's a good point. And, you know, it's something that because volunteer led organizations, you know, we, we, (laughs) there's a limited resources. And so, but that's a great opportunity to connect with a mentor. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. And that's, that's a great resource. Yes. Find someone you're comfortable with. Uh, PNCWA has a mentoring program mm-hmm. that you can sign up for. So if you don't particularly, if you don't have somebody in mind, but but most folks find someone that you do trust, yeah. whether it's at work or outside of work, that you can bounce ideas off of. That you know has kind of been there and done some of the things that you're hoping to do. So find that mentor. Yeah, and they're out there yeah. for sure. And so you know, there's another thing I, I would like to mention. Because I think sometimes folks get a bit overwhelmed um, thinking they have to do everything and, and volunteer for everything. And well, you just told them to say yes to everything. Yeah. <laughs> I did. I did. But, you know, there is, a, there is a limit. And I think part of it, too, you have to understand, you know, where you are in life. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and like when, uh, when my children were young, you know, you, there's only so much one can do in a day. Exactly. And, and well, and you want to, and you want to have some of your best self for them. Yeah. Right. And so, uh, so it's it's a balance, but 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 do say yes. Yeah. I still say yes, but uh, don't That's have to say yes to everything. Yeah. <laughs> don't have to overcommit. But if you if you haven't said yes yet, then at least try one. And balance doesn't always mean that like you're always in perfect balance. No. It's maybe looking at your right. time and balance. So John Acuff is one of our favorite authors, and he talks a lot about um, seasons. Yes. So, for instance, if you know that September or the fall is going to be a crazy travel month because you're going, don't guilt yourself the whole time you're working and doing these things because you know that in those off times you're committing and being present 100% to that family time and to, or the other things that are in your life. So just understand that there are seasons and sometimes it's a balance of time and yeah, you're going to be more skewed on this side and sometimes and more skewed on others. But as long as you kind of keep that mindset of, okay, this is my season for family and this is my season for work and like keep those things in balance. Cause that's, then we start guilting ourselves about not being balanced and then it's just, (laughs) well, and I I think that's one of the, tricks and one of the keys to life is having the by keeping it in mind Mm -hmm. but but not yes but not beating yourself up about it all the time i think most folks have this sort of inner sense of okay i really do need to back off for a little bit and and spend more time at home or or you know i'm I've got this big project coming up. I'm going to need to spend a little bit more time yeah. at work. But I think it's making those things more intentional mm-hmm. and more deliberate, you know, and, and frankly, and just communicating it to I your was, Yeah, I was just going to say that. Just letting them know. And, yeah. And they'll support you. Yeah. Right? And then you get the support, and then you feel better about it. You can focus. You'll probably get it done sooner. Yep. I'm just saying, if, especially if it's a work assignment, if you're not feeling guilty all the time about <laughs> it. So. But, you, you know, so as long as you're mindful about it, I think you're, you're – 
you're always going to be seeking to find that that right balance. Yeah. And I love that with mentors that you mentioned the incredible importance of trust because you're going to need mm. that trust and vulnerability with a, a good mentor because, yes. you know, a mentor is not meant to be your cheerleader. A mentor is going to challenge you. And that's true. And if they're not challenging you, find a different mentor because you need someone who's going to kind of make you uncomfortable and make you ask the hard questions or face the things because that's how you're going to grow. Um, no one grows in their comfort zone. So you got to kind of like have someone who you have that trust and level of vulnerability enough. Who's going to, who's going to like, mm, what have you thought about this? Or, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I definitely think that's important. Shifting gears a little bit. I want to get into some of the work that you've done with WEF because I know you're incredibly involved in the WEF world. Um, one of the things that I really am so proud of, of this organization and to be a part of this organization is because of their focus on diversity, inclusion, equity, things of that nature. Um, you know, they've made it a major emphasis. So can you tell us what equity and inclusion means to you and how the different organizations you're a part of are tackling this opportunity? Yeah, there's, that's... The, <laughs> it's a big question. Yeah, we're doing it. We're doing a lot <laughs> on that. I can, I can tell you that right yeah. now. And it's... We have to reflect who we are, who we serve, right? Mm -hmm. I just, I just literally came from a leadership uh, workshop, and uh, we had a speaker there who talked about how he was the first African American in his high school, the first African American in his co university, and it's just, it's kind of funny. He said, uh, "I was beginning to think my middle name was first. <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was a great quote. He's also yes. he's also a as uh, a master's of divinity and, he, and he's a pastor oh, at a church. Yeah. And so nice. of course it was a it was a very inspiring inspiring talk. But we have to get we have to get more like the customers we serve. We will be so much the better for it. Mm -hmm. We have to look at what our blind spots are, yes. what are our unconscious bias, yes. things that we don't even know that we're doing. And the board has spent a fair, the WEF board has spent a fair amount of time looking at that this year. And we've been doing exercises to try to get to some of those biases. We've been taking these surveys to see where we land on these things, to see where those biases are. We've been challenging staff. We've, we've made we've got some action plans rolling into this year. We've established a, um, a diversity and in inclusion uh, task force. It's got some great people on mm, it, and yeah, it, yeah they're going to produce some wonderful stuff for us and very concrete things that we can do moving forward. I think in, as individuals, I think the probably the best thing you can do is to challenge your own self. Yes, you have to. And, and at those moments when you see yourself or or you know, there's a, a th you, you doing something and then and then reflect on it later and go, huh, was I really making that person feel welcome? Were my comments being perceived the way I wanted them to be perceived by everybody in the room? Yeah. Right. So some of those even colloquialisms, right, that we have in language. Yes. They can be quite offensive to some folks. Mm -hmm. So I think we just have to look at those sorts of things. Think about how we view the world. And the more we do that, I think the more we'll we'll reflect first of all a lot of people are, are generally just great people mm -hmm. it's really just getting opening eyes mm -hmm. is really what it's about is just getting people to see what they don't see yeah and I mean you nailed it on the head with the mindfulness yeah and um, being uh, you have to be not just mindful but I'm trying to think it so Tom Kunitz told a great story at the opening general session yes. about how you kind of have to put yourself mm -hmm. in the position where you can feel the feeling that others have. So he's never walked in a room before where he has felt 
like he didn't fit in or he stuck out or something like that until he put himself in a position where he felt that. And then once you feel that, you can begin to internalize that and be able to understand, have empathy, be able to understand that from someone else's perspective. But I think it's called like exposure therapy, uh, where you have to put yourself in those, uh, in those situations in order to understand it more and in order to get more comfortable with it. Um, and then there's a whole, I read this book called Dream Teams by Shane Snow that I am a huge fan of. Um, I actually talked with one of the members of the Diversity Inclusion Task Force nice. yesterday, uh, Stephen Sanders. I talked with him about that book. I got him to read that book so that we could talk about it together. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, <laughs> but uh, in, in that book, it explains that we're actually hardwired to be suspicious of other people that don't Mm. look like us and think like us, like not even to be suspicious, but it's the lizard brain. Again, everything keeps coming back to this lizard brain in my Mm. world. I feel like, but the amygdala, uh, actually we're hardwired to see people who look different than act different as us as a threat. And so we have to be to your point, 100% mindful and to be conscious of questioning yourself like you just did yes and um it's it's not going to be something that happens by accident it's going to have to be it's going to be hard yeah left to our own devices we're going to fall into our normal patterns of behavior yes 100 that's that's what makes this frankly makes it difficult Mm -hmm. and to break those patterns of behavior and especially the ones that we're just not even you know the unconscious ones oh they're all yeah yeah, (laughs) our blind spots we're just we don't see them because you know they're not blind spots if you see them and so and also take a gift from someone when someone points something out to you that maybe you could have done it better as humans our first reaction oftentimes is to be defensive oh, yeah. and that's understandable but once you get past that just reflect on it mm-hmm. is it yeah maybe i could have done that better yeah. right and that's great advice anytime you have someone's um offers you the gift of some criticism yeah yeah <laughs> it's one way to look at the world yeah, <laughs> offers so, so, me the gift of criticism. of criticism it's true it is a gift actually <laughs> that's right but yeah and just have the i guess have the courage to be able to say because it is it's really hard to take yes. to take feedback sometimes but just you know having the courage to say i heard you but i need a second so in one of my presentations, uh, somebody gave some feedback on something and, and you know, it kind of can like startle you mm-hmm. at first. And yes. so I was like, you know, I heard you, but just, just give me a minute. Let me get through this. And I changed it. I took their, I took their advice, but I just needed a minute to get over that first reaction of defensiveness. So I, yeah, I'm sure I'm right. <laughs> yes. It's going to take that issue, especially is going to take this industry we're going to have to give ourselves some grace and just get comfortable with being uncomfortable because it's it, going to get uncomfortable. It's really true. And I think we also have to give ourselves, we have to push ourselves and, and, um, set timelines for change. I, I talked to somebody earlier today and I thought it was a, it was a great perspective. We're just scratching the surface on all of this. Oh yeah. So, we don't even know the depth of, of how far we have to go yet. Mm-hmm. And we have a long way to go, but, and, but in terms of the other things that we're going to need to change and do differently, there's going to be a lot more as we go down this path and good for us. I mean, yeah. maybe we should think about this, you know, how lucky are we? How lucky right? are we? That okay. we get the chance to solve this problem. Yeah. I think that's, yeah. We need to just make that our, our new hashtag. How lucky are we? Yeah. That it's we so get to true. solve this problem. Absolutely. Appreciate you taking the time to chat with us, but we have just a few more questions that are our lightning round. 
Okay, ready. So you already gave us some great suggestions of some books and resources, but do you have another, and it can be an article too, or a blogger or something like that, but what's a book or resource that you can give us uh, that we should check out? (laughs) Well, I would start with The Leadership Challenge by Koozies and Post. Okay. That's a great place to start. They got lots of examples, and it's it's a good guide to what leader what leadership is at its best okay absolutely um what's one thing you do every day that helps with your productivity positive attitude it's really what makes the difference mm-hmm. i notice that sometimes when i've got something i've got to do that's not my favorite kind of work to do if i can just change the way i think about it i do it much better i get it done much quicker and it's all that it's all that frame of perspective so yeah. I find that keeping a positive attitude about things and thinking about the bigger picture that that serves and and, and sometimes just how, well, when I get this done, I can go work on my yeah. favorite t- kind of work, right? Treat yourself. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Treat Get that, <laughs> get that, uh, that dangle that carrot out there. Yeah. Yeah. That's when I can't generate the enough positive attitude. Then say, well, at least I'll get to go do this other thing when I get this finished up. You can just preface it now with, "How lucky am I that I get <laughs> yes. to work on this thing that I have to do before I get to the next thing that I like." So true. So we ask the same question of everyone that we interview. We always end with this question, um, and I love the answers that I get. So because they're all different and similar at the same time. But so in Ariane and I's line of work, we deal with behavior change a lot. That's what we're trying to get to. And sometimes people would say to us, uh, "What difference does it make if I change? I'm just one person. I'm not going to make a difference. It's not going to change anything." But obviously, we wholeheartedly disagree with that. We believe that one person making a change can—you never know what that's going to inspire in others and it can be contagious. So what's the one call to action that you're most passionate about that you believe could ultimately change the world? That is a good question. <laughs> I think it's I think it's helping that one other person mm. to see the world differently, to see the world, what the possibilities are, what the world might be, what we might become, who we might be, how we might be better yeah. than we are today. To, to me, all, if you think about it, how is all change accomplished in the entire world? It's by one person changing. That catalyst. It's, yes. and it's But then they get another person to change, and they get another person to change, right? But I think if you can, every day you can try to be a better version of yourself, and you can encourage others to do the same. Absolutely. Love it. Well, I, I know that you are crazy busy all the time, and especially during things like WEF, so... I appreciate you taking the time to uh, to hang out and chat with me for a bit. It's been my pleasure. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Never miss out on future episodes by signing up for the Water Nerd newsletter. Found at the h2duo.com forward slash newsletter. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at the underscore h2duo. We share all of our new episodes there as well as in the newsletter. So whether we come across your feed or in your inbox, be sure to share episodes with your friends, family, colleagues, fellow water nerds. Help us spread the word. We hope you learned something new today, got a little inspired, or did something that brought you one step closer to your goal. Until next time, remember what one of our favorite quotes says, those who tell the stories rule the world.